Well, we are taking a time to, to go through a series called Worship the King. And the point is really twofold. We want to obviously um, talk about our king and how great and awesome he is and worship him. But we also want to take some time to talk about what worship looks like. And when Jesus was born, there was some worshiping going on. So I think there's a few things we can learn from those who have worshipped him in the past that we can apply to today. So that's what we're going to be doing as we go through this series together. Just a reminder, John 4.23, an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. The Father is looking, longing, wanting, desiring, searching out people to worship him. The almighty creator, the one who created all things. Some would say, really? Why would a God want to? Is he egotistical or something like that? Well, let's just step back and look at it for what it is. God is the almighty creator. He created all things. He sustains all things. He keeps all things moving and working together. Shouldn't he deserve some worship? If we begin to think that we're the center of the universe, then we take the worship off the one who's rightfully do worship, and we begin to think that we're the ones that should receive some attention and worship. And God reminds us on a regular basis that we need to put our eyes on him and fix our eyes on the one who created us and gave us life. And so that's, that's what we're going to be taking a look at this next, uh, well, today and then next Sunday as well as we continue in through next week. So here I want to give you a little bit of a definition as far as worship is. How would you define it? Um, A couple weeks ago, Luke defined reverence, and it's very similar to this. They go hand in hand in a lot of ways, but worship is an honorable action or expression that correctly identifies God as superior and you and me as inferior. There are a couple of words there you can go, well, that's a little redundant, but I want you to see that there's an honorable action. It's not just an action that you and I get to decide on, like, oh, this is what I think God would like. But it's an honorable action asking this question, what does God want? What is God like? So I can actually give him honor with how I live my life and the words that I say. Correctly identifying, so there's the redundancy a little bit. We're honoring because we're looking at what he wants. Correctly identifying him as superior. He's the one that gets to call the shots, not us. So we correctly identify that he is superior and we're inferior. So we're coming humbly before this almighty, awesome, powerful God and saying, you are God, I am not. Therefore, we worship him both in word and action. Now, a couple things to review as well. We've already gone over a little bit, but I want to hit them again. And that is this, that we worship both individually and corporately. Okay, we have some one-on-one time with God. You may be praying with God. On, on, you may be singing in your car. Sometimes that's your best worship time, right? Put it on the radio and you're singing and people are looking at your window going, what's up with that person? You know, but that's your worship time, maybe. Or maybe you have another worship time where you're just one-on-one with God at home and you know, you're, you're there reading your scripture and you're with your cup of coffee, and, you know, whatever it is, and you're just worshiping individually. But then there's corporate worship where we come together and we worship God together. We worship God both corporately and individually, and we worship in both word and action. So we tell God things, we verbally express our worship to him, and then we do it in action as well. We're told in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our bodies, how we live, is an act of worship. Holy and pleasing to God. Now, this is your true worship. Okay? So, a couple things that we see there, both verbally 
and in action, we're worshiping God. So up to this point, we've talked about two things. Uh, we need to worship the king from a humble heart. Okay, worship him from a humble heart. It's up there. Um, and then we need to worship him with proper preparation. Okay. Today we're going to go into this idea. We need to worship him with fear and confidence. Now, I can go back and do a little bit of review. How many of you guys did a little more preparation for today? A few of you? Okay, all right, good job. Hey, yeah, a few of you. Some of you were giving me a little bit of feedback, like, all right, Saturday night, I'm going to spend a little bit of time, a little bit more time, you know, worshiping. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Good. Uh, we need to we need to do it with proper preparation. Be ready before we come in, so we're not just hitting the door at you know ten thirty or something and thinking, "Hey, okay, we're now here to worship God." But really, before that. But then we're going to talk today about how we need to worship the King with fear and confidence. Is that even possible? Can you have fear before God and confidence before God? That's a little bit of the question I want to leave with you. So, what do you think? Reflecting on that, or actually this question, should people approach God in fear or with great confidence? Anybody want to blur out an answer? Yes. Okay, I get a lot of that. Yes, yes. Does anybody want to take another stab at it? Just a yes? That's all we get? All right. All right. Well, yes. Uh, both, really. We should approach God with fear and with great confidence. And I think that's an important thing we see in the story as we look at the shepherds and how they approach God. And I think it's an important thing for us as we look forward to how we approach God. We approach him with both fear and confidence. Look at these, these passages here. Luke twelve five. it says, But I show you the one to fear. Okay? Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. So the one who has control over our destiny, over eternity, we should fear that one. Who is that one? Well, that's God the Father. He has complete control over that. He is the judge. Do we fear him? We ought to. Now, if this was a standalone verse and it was the only thing we had, of course, we'd have a scary God to to follow, right? But we also have this passage, Hebrews 10. 21 to 22, and it says this, And since we have a great high priest, which is Jesus Christ, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. There's a song we sing occasionally called, Boldly I Approach the Throne. And I think it comes from this text here where we have the confidence to boldly approach God, not because we've done something awesome or great, but because Jesus Christ has done something awesome and great for us by coming and dying on the cross in our place. And so on one hand, we have this fear that there's this great, mighty, powerful God out there, and we're in his grips, we're in his hands, and he can do with us whatever he wants, but we have this great confidence this great confidence because we have Jesus Christ who has come and given us a promise that he died on the cross for us. And because he died on the cross for us, he presents us to God the Father as holy and blameless. And so now we have this relationship with God. So I was trying to think of a way just to illustrate what this would look like. And this was the best I could come up with. Maybe you could come up with a better illustration so you can tell me afterwards because I'm always trying to come up with better ways to, to paint this picture. But somewhere along the way, maybe you've been, I don't know, out on a, on a really tall bridge. In fact, we have, if you want to test this out, 
um, near to us, we have one of the, the best bridges to do this on. So you can drive about two hours away, go down to Twin Falls, and you can walk across the bridge there. It's about 500 feet above the Snake River. Okay? It's, the, I think, the eighth tallest bridge in the U.S. You can walk out across there, and if you walk out, you're almost, without fail, you're going to feel at some time a big truck go over the bridge, and that whole bridge is going to move like this. And I've been in those situations where we're like, we're over the Columbia River and we lived over in, in that area and, and we would park up there because they'd be working on, on the bridge and you'd be in their car and you'd, you know, be stopped there as they're doing something and, and a truck would come the other way and the whole thing would shake and you'd be like, is this bridge going to stay up? You know, like, it's a little scary. But if you get a chance, go ahead and walk out on the, a bridge like that and look over the edge. Now, some of you may be, you know, adrenaline junkies, and that doesn't freak you out at all. But for the most people, if you get on a bridge like that and you look over the edge, you kind of gasp a little bit like, well, that's, that's a long ways down there. And you begin to realize just how far up off the ground you are and what would happen if, if by chance you just kind of stumbled and, you know, that little railing that looks so strong, but when you're standing there over the edge, you're like, is this thing really going to hold me up? Well, let's say that someone came along and picked you up and hung you over the edge. Would you, all of a sudden you have a little bit of fear? You might have a lot of fear, right? Like, what is going on? Here's the picture I, I think we have with God. God is, is holding us, so to speak, over the edge of a bridge. He has us completely in his hands. Okay, that's the fear part. Here we are, dangling with our feet. There's nothing underneath of us. The only thing that's holding us is God himself. And he's saying to us, trust me, I have you. Have confidence that I will not let you go. Now you have the choice. Do you believe him and rest in that confidence? Or are you fighting to get back to that bridge? And I think that's... That's the picture in my mind when I come a little bit to worship is, God, I am completely in your hands. I'm completely in your control. You know the future. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know that I've placed my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and I believe he has a hold of me. So my future is secure in that. But I'm trusting his grip and not my own. So there's a bit of fear and confidence. Fear because God is the all-powerful God. He's mighty, but confident that his word is true, and he has us in his hands. So worship, I think worship maintains both fear and confidence before God. We are constantly reminding ourselves as we come before God that he is an almighty, powerful God who loves us and has given us an eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. We have both Fear and confidence. That's a little bit of what we're going to see in this story. So, glory, hallelujah, that's, uh, that's the name, that's the title we have today. Glory, the idea that there is a great, all-powerful, glorious God out there, almighty God. Hallelujah, praise be, to, praise be to his name, because we have confidence that we can praise him through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we want you to teach us, guide us, and lead us. We want to do better at worshiping you. And sometimes we just show up here and we don't think much about it and we go through the motions and we sing the songs and we, we listen and, and we leave this place 
Maybe not even thinking about it again. We want to be better worshipers because you are an incredible God who not only is powerful, sustains all things, gave us life, breathed life into us, you also have been gracious and compassionate to us and give us eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. We want to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 starts this way. In the same way, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. So just an average night for these guys. Okay, they're out there. They've got their sheep spread out. They've provided a safe place for them. They must, some of them might be dozing off at this point. You know, it's nighttime. Stars are out, unless it's cloudy. We don't know. But, but they're just having their normal night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. So not only do you have an angel, now the glory shows up. And, and how or what that looks like, you know, you got some pictures out there that try to repaint that. Usually it's a bright light or something like that. We don't really know. All we know is that their response was terrifying. Okay, they saw this, the angel shows up, and all of a sudden the glory shows up too, and they're scared. Okay, this word is not like, oh, I'm a little frightened. This word is like, they were terrified. They were scared. Because something just happened that doesn't normally happen every night. It's like you're driving down the road, and a car's coming the other way, and those bright lights decide to come right at you. Would you be scared? It's that kind of fear. It grips your heart. It says, something's going to happen, and you don't know if it's going to be good or bad, if that person's going to go back, or... That's the idea here. All of a sudden, this, this glory shows up, and, and this angel shows up, and you don't know if, if your time has come, and you're like, okay, we're going to die, or if, if something good's going to happen. And you're just terrified. And he goes on, he says, the angel said to him, don't be afraid. I mean, that's the first words that come out of the angel's mouth. Why? Because, well, they're scared. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you a good news. It's great joy that'll be for all the people. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news. And that was the response to try to calm them down because they were, again, terrified. Just calm down. Got something good to talk about. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you. And he's the Messiah, the one the Old Testament talked about. You've got Old Testament prophecies that talk about a person who's going to come, who's going to free Israel. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He says, this is the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby. It's going to be wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And he goes, gives you some description here. You can be like, okay, wrapped tightly in a cloth. I don't know much why that's in there other than when we you know, started having kids, we ra- realized you wrap them tightly. In a cloth, maybe a way to say, hey, it's an infant, you know, it's gonna come, you're going to go and you're going to see that infant, expect that. There's an infant, it's wrapped tightly in a cloth, and it's lying in a manger. That's your sign, that's who you're going to see if you go into Bethlehem and see this child. Then suddenly, okay, so now you have an angel and the glory of God shining there, and they were terrified. Angel shows up, says, don't be afraid, go find the baby. Now a whole multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel is praising God. It's the whole like, you know, sky, you can imagine, maybe is lit up at this point with angels singing and glory of God shining and shepherds scared a little bit about what's happening. 
And they start saying, glory to God in the highest, because as creations, we ought to be looking to him and giving him the praise and glory as our creator. Glory to God in the highest, and then peace on earth, because when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a separation, and there was no, uh, there was no getting back right with God on our own. There was a separation, and there needs to be peace that comes to earth. And so God then says, well, there's peace now on earth because of this child who's born. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth through Jesus Christ, on whom his favor rests. And that's what they said. Now, it doesn't say here that they sang. We usually sing this as a song, you know, these, this type of year. But here he just says they said it. Then he goes on. When the angel had left them, they returned to the, uh, to the heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go straight on to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Now, there's a story for it. Oh, there's a picture for it. That's typically what you think of today when you see or hear about the manger, right? And you got this nice little silhouette out there, this manger, and there's uh, what you have with the uh, shepherds over here, and you have the wise men, who actually we'll talk about next week, wouldn't have shown up at this time, probably at least a year later or so. That's typically what you see. But what in reality is... Probably more like this is what you would see. You'd see a house. It was built out of, out of uh, stone all the way around. The upper layer would have been where people slept. And, and you can read about this. If you're into archaeology at all, you'll see that uh, they've gone and they've dug up some houses that look very similar to this today. This wouldn't be the exact house that Jesus would have been born in, but something similar to this. Okay, so you would have an upper layer. And on the upper layer, that's where people would sleep. And when it said that there was no room for Jesus, what it probably was saying was there was no room in that area, that guest area. And so as Jesus was, or as Mary and Joseph were going around trying to find a place for, for Jesus to, to be born, they, they went around, knocked on some doors, probably family members trying to find some sort of a, a guest area, guest room, maybe even a hotel of some kind. But they were trying to find some lodging. And nobody had room. So finally, one of them says, hey, I don't have room in the guest area, but if you want, you can sleep down here. It's warm. It's inside of, of the, the wall of the house, and you can, you can come in there and you know, have your child there if you're going to have the child tonight. And that was the best option they had. So they go inside. By the way, you might say, why did they sleep with their animals at the time? A couple of reasons. One was so the animals didn't escape but more so, so the people wouldn't come in and steal their animals. So they'd have them there, you know, with them inside the walls, shut the door behind them. And then somewhere in the night, while people are upstairs, maybe sleeping, Jesus is born down below. And the cleanest place when you're there with all these animals, the cleanest place is probably in the, the trough. Clean out what's in there, put some straw, some hay down inside of it, and put baby Jesus in the trough. That was his birth. Not very glorious, right? Now, again, you have like this, this picturesque, this silhouette out there that we oftentimes see today. Most likely, Bethlehem would have looked a little more like this. What a busy town. People were coming and going at this time. Um, you had house after house right next to each other. There wasn't you know, a, a full yard in between or anything like that. It was just right on top of each other. Just a normal, everyday town Jesus was born in. Not a lot of highlight, not a lot of glamour, just born there in a manger. Not what you would typically think for the Messiah. Not what you would typically think for the king. 
It'd be more like maybe what we talked about last week where John, John was born to a family who was, you know, a priest and, and, and there he was announced there at the temple and, and people were, were praising God for some incredible things that were happening. Miracles were happening all around it. And here you have Jesus, Jesus born in a stable in a town called Bethlehem. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. That doesn't tell us what they were amazed at. Either they were amazed because this was kind of a far-out story. Like, what? You guys just said you saw angels showing up, and then you saw the Messiah, and he was born in a stable? Like, that's a little crazy. Or they were like, yes, the Messiah has come. And God has demonstrated himself as shown. There's probably a little bit of a reaction to, the reaction was probably like both of those. So all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had to say. And Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. So the shepherds then returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So there are a couple points I just wanted to make as you get to the end of there. One, God is not a God to be messed with. When you see the beginning of that story, you have God showing up, and the, the angel shows up on the scene, and the glory of God is, is shining around, and people realize, the shepherds realize, wow, God's a big, massive God, and he can be scary at times. God is powerful. God is mighty. And we're foolish to think at times in our lives that God isn't. And I think we sometimes run into that, where we're, we're going about our lives and we're thinking to ourselves, hey, I've got control of my own life, or I've got things figured out. And that starts to get pretty foolish. Because God is God, and he's powerful, and he's almighty, and he's God. We're not. And we need to remember that. But the second point is true, and that is this. I didn't get rid of my typo shouldn't be God's is not, apostrophe S. It should just be God is not a God to run away from. God is not a God to run away from. The shepherds have the opportunity, right? They see the power of God, the majesty of God. They're terrified. They're scared. And they could have run away at that point. They could have said, whoa, hold, hold it, God. I don't want anything to do with this. This is crazy. And they could have ran away. But instead, they follow the direction of God and they submit to him. And God says, go into the town. Go into Bethlehem. See this baby. You're going to find a baby wrapped in a manger, or wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And and they, they do what God says. You see, they have both fear and confidence to follow God. So a question I have for all of us. Are you... And am I hiding from God because of something that I've done and we're just afraid of God? Are we running from him because when we see him and his holiness and his majesty and his power and his might, we just say, you know what, I need to get away from that God because, because I feel so ashamed, I feel so guilty, I feel so convicted? I just want to challenge you, if you are, then you may not know that Jesus gives you full access to approach God the Father with confidence. 
If you're saying to yourself, I, I, can't, I can't be around God because he's too big, he's too massive, he's too wonderful, he's too holy, he's too perfect, and I'm not. If you're in that, that mode and you're, and you're just thinking, I can't do it, then you may not realize that Jesus Christ has done everything that you need to bring you into a relationship with God the Father. He's done everything that we need. And that's what worship is about. It's recognizing God as who he is and our need for a Savior and giving praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ for being born on this earth, for becoming a human sacrifice for us, for dying on the cross and rising from the dead and giving us his righteousness. Worship, when we come to God, maintains both fear before him because he's an almighty God and confidence for what he has done, believing that he has hold of us and has a grip on our lives. So I want to challenge you to respond with a couple questions here. One, do you know how to approach God with confidence? Stop and think about it for a little bit. Do you know how to approach God with confidence? Do you come to him in prayer? Do you come to him in worship? Do you have a relationship with him throughout the whole week? And you can say, yes, I can approach God with confidence. If you don't, this is the response I'd like to have you give. I'd love to read this. I'd love to hear about it. If you're like, I don't know that I have this confidence, I want to pray with you. And if possible, if you're open to it, I'd love to sit down and talk with you and explain how you can have that confidence. Okay, if you've heard it a little bit before, maybe bits and pieces just don't make sense. Like you're saying, ah, you know, you talk about Jesus, you're talking about dying on the cross, rising from the dead, but I don't understand how that gives me confidence. How that gives me confidence to stand before God the Father. If you don't understand that, then I'd like to explain it to you. Again, pray with you. Answer any questions you might have regarding that. Because that's so important in our relationship with God. You've got to know how you can boldly approach the throne of God. And it's through Jesus Christ. So if you don't know that, we have response cards. I'd love, you, know, you can put your name on the front if you'd like, and then on the back just say, no. And there you go, then I'll know, right? Uh, and, and hopefully be able to, to follow up with you. Secondly, another thought. If you can say, yes, I, I can approach God with confidence. I already know how to do that. Is there still something in your life? Do you still have a great fear when it comes to your relationship with God? Now, I, I, I don't have any fear about my eternal life. Like, I'm not, I'm not concerned about when I die if I'm going to heaven or hell because I believe wholeheartedly God has hold, God has a grip of my life, and he says, yes, you have eternal life and you're going to heaven. Okay, I'm not concerned about that. But in my relationship with God, I feel like there are times when maybe I am over the edge and I'm kind of kicking and screaming. Like, God, I don't want to be here. And there are times in my relationship with God when I'm thinking to myself, you know what, God, um, I, I think I failed you. And when I fail you, I wonder if, if you're getting closer to like, letting, letting me go. You ever feel that way? I believe wholeheartedly he has a hold of, of my life and he's not going to let me go. But there are times when I might disappoint him. There are times when I look back at my life and I go, man, I, not only did I make a foolish decision that hurt me, but it hurt somebody else close to me. Or somebody else who's not close to me. And then I began to get afraid that God would start to step away. 
But the reality is God never steps away. There might be some discipline along the way. There might be a way that he coaches me, talks to me, puts discipline, things in my life that help me stay focused on what I need to stay focused on. But he's not going to let go. What's your greatest fear? So I'm kind of a people pleaser. I want God to be happy. I want to hear at the end of my life, good job, my faithful servant. And sometimes I get afraid that I won't hear that. What's your fear when it comes to your relationship with God? Think about those things. And, And as you do, realize this, that every time we come before God and worship him, and every time we come and we sing songs, open his word together, pray, that we're coming for God who is holy and powerful and mighty and so much more than we can even fathom. And yet he loves us. And we have confidence that he allows us to come into his throne room and give him worship and glory. Because of what he's done for us and his love for us. So that baby that was born that we're going to celebrate here in a couple days. Tomorrow we get to come together again and, 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 and think about his, his birth. And Sunday you get to celebrate with your family. That baby started this message that 2,000 years later we still hold to, we still preach today. Because it's the only hope people have to stand before a holy God, that baby. So think about those things. You'll have a couple minutes to respond. If you'd like to, you can respond on a card, and then we'll close together in song.